Gobble, gobble. Thanksgiving 2020 is going to be a very different year. This is the Focus Group. It's the savvy side of 9 to 5. Listen. Bueller. 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 Laugh. <laughs> and learn. Negotiation. This is what you do in business. This is the Focus Group with Tim Bennett. S-T-A-U-N-C-H. And John Nash. Keep your clothes looking neat and clean. We're all business. Except when we're not. Hey, welcome to the Focus Group. John Nash here with my good friend and co-host Tim Bennett. Find us every week at focusgroupradio.com or right now on uh, YouTube Live and Facebook Live. And at focusgroupradio.com, you could also find out about Unbuttoned, our Tuesday podcast, about 20 minutes, three topics. And uh, there you have it. So uh, we're into a new week now. I always laugh at that opening because you actually designed that audio opening and when she says uh you know with tim bennett staunch s-t-a-u-n-c-h and then when she then when she says when he says john nash like keep your clothes like you really did kind of nail the personalities in in many ways there (laughs) there are some other ones i wonder if we should bring them back um there are a few other ones we have don't we that some other openings we probably should maybe we'll rotate them through drew birdsey was our guy that uh our voice did those for us our voice out of out of las vegas yeah so i uh, we have probably i think we must have eight of them or something we we? have seven or eight and there are now four in rotation and those four are the bugs bunny one the one we just uh heard oh actually no i'm sorry it's uh it's joan crawford this ain't my first time at the rodeo (laughs) 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 and then drill baby drill Drill, baby, drill. No more pussy fun around. I know we had a few listeners that got upset for us using Sarah Palin, which uh, they said we gave her too much. Of course, she's disappeared. Have you seen there's some crazy, um, if you go to YouTube and do her latest, she's doing a, um, a video for Trump and actually against Susan Murkowski, the senator from Alaska about the uh, about the Supreme Court justice nominee. She rambles on for 45 minutes she needs to be committed somewhere. I mean, she really was nuts. You can't believe it. I, I had to turn it off because I just felt sorry for her. Um, so she's having some sort of, if you get a chance and want to uh, cruise around the YouTube, you can, can can call her up and just take your own look at it. If you feel like burning some of your precious life minutes, kind of yeah. like taking a dollar, $100 bill and lighting it on fire, go right ahead. Speaking of this, um, what have you... I'm hearing from a lot of people and I'm feeling it myself that I am kind of newsed out. And so I'm looking for alternatives to the news. And that could even be a cartoon. Like we were watching some uh, old Warner Brothers cartoons this morning. It could be Bob and I decided to watch Andy Griffith last week. And, That's uh, my favorite. I watch that every night. <laughs> so I know. We're watching one where Barney decides to tell the whole town that, um, who's, their, who's the main character's name again? Barney's Andy. the deaf. Andy. That Andy's engaged to a woman who's going to be married and she run in, yes. runs into him on the street and she's like how dare you and he's like what are you talking about and she goes your friend da, 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 da. and then just as she walks off camera barney opens the door and then um andy grabs him and takes him inside and he's like what are you doing well you know i thought and it, it's just it's so innocent it's fun and i was like boy a half hour he flew by right if, if you want something, I think I told you this before, and this is kind of the time of the year. If I, I think I gave you one year the the Munsters CDs. If you listen to um, season two, because there was only two seasons of it, but if you watch any of the season two, and if you didn't, you know, you could dig them up and uh, and watch them or watch them on YouTube. But 
the political commentary that they've thrown in there, um, I never caught as a kid and never caught, quite frankly, as a younger adult watching it. But now I watch it and I'm like, boy, where they they certainly were sending a message down the about how government doesn't work, about how nothing's fair, about how really it's the kindness of your heart and neighbors that matters. I mean, it really the, the lesson sermon gives and then kind of his snarky uh, worldview that he 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 gives is I just it's laugh out loud laughing. But if you don't listen for it, you might not hear it. But that might be another one for you to try. Um, One of your other favorites is the Flintstones. And that started life as an adult cartoon. It was primetime, right? Right. Have you watched lately, and do you think that they've laced that with a lot of kind of hilarious adult-slash-kid humor? You know, there's some, but I find it hasn't held up as well as I had hoped. But the Munsters has. The Munsters Munsters has gotten better than I remember, (laughs) just because, you know, there was one particular thing where the, the, uh, one of their uncles or some, you know, relative lizard sent them all this money and, um, they can't figure out where he could have possibly got the money from. And then Herman says, well, perhaps he works for, for the government in some third world nonprofit, you know, I mean, essentially is saying that he stole it from the government and should have gone to, you know, Botswana, essentially what he's saying. (laughs) And, and how the U.N. just, you know, can't keep track of money. I mean, it was actually quite, I was like, oh, my goodness. Do you think that that, because um, if I were to watch, we also rewatched a couple episodes of um, Bewitched. And I think I saw one of I Dream of Genie. I, so I Dream of Genie and Bewitched really do not have that kind of commentary. And I now need to watch the monsters again, because I, I wonder if they allowed themselves to do that, because characters like that, so totally right. out there, right? Like they're 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 like from a Frankenstein movie, basically. They could say things like that, but other people maybe couldn't, right? Yeah, and the other one to to take a look at, which you can find, is um, Father Knows Best, which I kind of think he's quite nasty. But um, some of the <laughs> some of the commentary that they have as well talk about roles of men and women so much more um, polarizing than Leave It to Beaver, but just about what women should do, what men should do. Um, and some of the other social, social issues going on in the, in the mid fifties, the, um, and then there was one other one I was going to suggest for you to, to watch. All right. So you got months, um, Munster's father knows best. Oh, I know what it is. I don't know if you get it where you are, but I've had on all weekend because like you, I'm tired of hearing about, about the election and so forth is buzzer TV, B U Z Z R game shows, right? It's just all game shows from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Password, and, the pyramid. You know, people get excited for winning, you know, a, a carton of cigarettes and 100 bucks. I mean, it, but... <laughs> Those are the simple days. Thanks for coming. Here's a carton of Winston's. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but some of it is really quite um, quite great. And some of the old Password shows were so intellectual. And I, I'm thinking to myself, man, people were so well-educated in terms of their vocabulary and their use of language and use of words. It really is a, a slice of uh, slice of Americana. So that's another one to just they're not political. It's just game shows. And uh, whether it's concentration or the old let's make a deal or Price is Right, any of that sort of stuff. They're, they're kind of fun. Did you notice on Password that the celebrities were also super dialed in and very smart themselves and, and yes. often were they, they had personalities that were outsized beyond the characters that we would see them play on TV and hall and, and movies. You're like, wow, these are fun people. And, and they were so relatable. They would always greet the guest. They were so yeah. thrilled to be playing and trying to win money for someone. That's a great, we do get buzzer TV, by the way, we get me, 
buzzer and there's another one that plays uh old old shows. decades decades there's is another one decades. yeah they had a twilight zone uh marathon this past weekend decades did some of those but, hold yeah, up yes yeah, so, but the, the I, I think the buzzer tv stuff though if you if you like game shows, some people don't like game shows, but um, we're avid, it, we're avid Jeopardy fans. So if I like a show like that, I'm going to love watching the old password. I remember growing up watching Alan Lunt and wasn't yes. he married to Betty White? Betty White. And it's funny when she's on there because there's some sort of flirtsy going on before they were, <laughs> before they were a couple. So. All right. What caught your eye? What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. So we've talked about this. It's about a, it's, you know, we're probably a month away or a little more than a month away, but this had popped up. And, and so I read it and, um, because you and I have, I've talked about it uh, before on and off, but the headline is a disrupted Thanksgiving leaves the Turkey business guessing. So essentially everybody knows with what's going on with the event. A lot of people are trying to figure out Thanksgiving is, is for many Americans, their favorite holiday. It's non-denominational. It's really a gathering of friends and family. And so many of us either, travel so many people travel for thanksgiving or have traveled for thanksgiving and obviously the cdc this year recommends not doing that and recommends having having gatherings but small gatherings or gatherings of people that have been in your pod or been in your household and so while everybody agrees with that um of course a number of companies did a few surveys and so Stu leonard you know Stu leonard's in the northeast is kind of like a trader joe's but it's just in the northeast um, they're well, well, I that. didn't know that it was like Trader Joe's. We have a Stu Leonard's right up the road from our Costco, and I've never stepped inside. You're, you're oh, basically you saying go. I should check it out, right? Yeah, you should okay. check it out. It's like a combination, I think, between a Wegmans and a, and a Trader Joe's. But they're expecting, they, they have said that they uh, think they'll sell 20% fewer big turkeys this year. And um, they talked to Kroger, which sells millions and millions of turkeys, and they're saying the same thing. And what they found out when they've just talked to consumers in general They're saying that 70% of Americans plan to celebrate Thanksgiving differently this year. Imagine that, 70%. 70%. That's huge, huge, yeah. But you had said earlier, right, you were going to celebrate. Oh, scaled back. It's it's two or three people, right? And so what they said is that the – and so the trend is going to be that people will still gather, but the gatherings will be much smaller. And they said in the past, smaller gatherings accounted for about 18% of Thanksgiving uh, get-togethers. They said this year it's going to count to close to 30 or more in terms of people just getting together with smaller groups. So all this has led to the bigger topic about this question is I don't need a 15-pound turkey or I don't need two turkeys or I don't need um, large, large turkeys. If my gathering went from 12 people down to five or four, do I still need a 15 or 13-pound bird, right? So what this is really what this has really done as a struggle for the um, – for the turkey industry is that it's livestock, right? Yeah. And you're, it's, it's an agricultural product that you're growing. So you decided to all, grow a turkey or to raise a turkey, sorry, months ago before a lot of this, right? Right. And so people are, so they're saying people either want smaller, they want smaller birds or they just want smaller parts, maybe just a turkey breast. I don't need the legs and everything <laughs> else because I don't have everybody else coming. One wing, one and, breast. <laughs> <laughs> one wing, one breast. And so there's little turkeys that are called poults, P-O-U-L-T-S. But you have to plan for that. And they said what's happened is a year ago when when companies Butterball and some of the other companies have, de- have decided to start um, raising turkeys for their projections, they continued. This was before the event. So they've continued raising these larger birds. And so the concern is 
that there's all these big birds that are going to be available and the smaller birds won't be <laughs> and the parts, the smaller parts won't be. So they're trying to balance the fact to say, do people go to chicken or do they use something else? But then there's going to be the surplus of turkey. So if you think about the, just the business aspect of if you're a turkey farmer and obviously Thanksgiving and, and then probably followed by Christmas are the two huge, huge areas in terms of you selling, selling product. How do you address the fact that 70% of the people are going to be celebrating differently this year? And I think you said something funny before we opened up. You're like, oh, there'd be a lot of leftovers. <laughs> so that's what caught my eye because I guess I didn't, I didn't think about the fact of so many people are going to be celebrating differently this year, but the industry didn't plan for it. And, they sh and you wouldn't expect them to have planned for it either yeah, because Because the planning would have happened at, at the end of last thing. Remember we once interviewed someone from Butterball? Yep, the turkey line. Yeah, and she said that um, once Thanksgiving hits, they're already planning for the next one. So yeah. they would have had to have started thinking about livestock and parts of the country that they're going to do distribution in. And that had to happen quite a while ago, right? Yep. Yeah. So it, it's... um. So I just thought that was an interesting interesting aspect of what's happening with, with turkeys this year. It goes on and on about all different types of scenarios and things that could happen. But I thought the, the bottom line was the birds are bigger. The, <laughs> the gatherings are smaller. What do you do? Multiple days. I, I say of... you make the big one. And you, I say you do what you do, yeah, right? You make, make turkey a big... salad. I love a turkey sandwich. Mm -hmm. Leftovers for a couple days after the main holiday is not a bad thing. That's not a bad problem to have, right? No. I would have that problem. My, uh, what caught my eye was something different. It comes to us from Sweden. Um, and uh, basically, the transit authority over there is trying to get people to socially distant, uh, be distant on transit. And the way they're going to achieve this, or the way they want to achieve it, is they have basically come up with this thing called, um, <laughs> the headline reads, Swedish agency creates simple but genius social distancing hack, the no-douche bag. So, you know, when you're on a train or a bus and somebody has a bag on a seat and you're like, move the bag, right? You know, you're what a douchebag, move the bag. That's literally where they came up with this idea. So they gave out a thousand of these brightly colored bags. And, uh, and of course, I'll just read what it says here on the, uh, I'd love to sit next to you, just not right now. Thanks for keeping your distance. <laughs> Only in Sweden, right? So uh, they gave out a thousand of these bags at, for free at Central Station in Gothenburg. And more are going to follow, and people have been actually using them. And in the article here, there's a quote that says, Usually, bags on the seat are certainly not something we promote. But during a pandemic, it's actually an act of consideration, said Lars uh, Beckstrom, CEO of Vostrak, which is, I guess, the transit thing. This simple reminder is another way of encouraging individuals to take personal responsibility, which is the fundamental which is the fundament in the Swedish strategy. With this bag, we want to, in an unexpected way, remind our travelers that we need to continue to work with social distancing. And then he added, if, if you're on a bus or a tram and feel worried about being too close to people, it's something hard to say, so put the bag on the seat. <laughs> so you're showing the bag, and it says, I'd love to sit next to you, just not right now. But So is this one of the Swedish bags, and they did it in English? Something tells me that we're looking at a comp that was done in English, yeah. because this is from Sweden. You, you nailed that. Good call. Very good catch. <laughs> you know what I thought about immediately? Remember when we had Erin McHugh on, the author, in her book, One Good Deed, where her trick was to get people not to sit next to her? Do you remember that? Oh, what did she do? So did she had a bag and she said whenever she would be on the bus going up to either going out to the, you know, out to the beaches on Long Island or she'd be heading to Boston, she would take her her beach bag and she had a she carried it with her. She said she had it forever. 
a little bottle of Pepto-Bismol and, and she would throw her beach bag on the seat next to her and made sure that the Pepto-Bismol bottle was, was visible. And she said, the amount, she said, I never really had to say anything. People would just come by and they'd see, you know, they'd be asking seat taken, seat taken. They'd look at hers and see the Pepto-Bismol bottle and move on. <laughs> she, very rarely did anybody sit next to her. <laughs> she, we got to have her on again. You know, she has got to come on and tell us what she's been up to on the Cape. We did a call with her a while ago um, and we learned about some of her stuff. But she would, I think our listeners would appreciate hearing from her. That's a very yeah. funny, funny way of avoiding someone sitting next to you. <laughs> Yeah, All right, I, so uh, from turkeys to uh, bags that they're calling a douchebag to let make you move on, I think Aaron's thing would be funnier, like an empty, you know, you, yeah, we'll <laughs> leave it at that. So let's do business birthday. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. So everyone knows we do, uh, John and I do these business birthdays. We've been doing them now for 12 or 13 years. And um, we try not to do repeats. And so this this one we've never done before. But um, there were we we kind of had a had a um, an embarrassment of riches. That's uh, exactly <laughs> that's the best way of saying it. We had so it's so today October fourteenth is Isaac Mizrahi's birthday. A few people in in captains of industry, captains of pharma, uh, Ralph Lauren's birthday. But this one I thought was uh, was of interest and would be of interest to uh, to all of you listening. It's Lawrence Russell Herkimer's birthday. He was born October 14th, 1925. He died July 1st, 2015 at 89 years old. He was known as the grandfather of cheerleading. He was an innovator in the field of cheerleading. And he invented this jump called the Herky. (laughs) Cheerleading jump. Should I show that picture? Which was named after him. Is that him um, in the air? Is that what he developed? Yeah. So it was done somewhat, they think, a little bit by accident. But essentially you have your... Right hand straight, your other hand on your hip. Not very masculine, I don't think, do you? The uh, one <laughs> leg out, your your left your um, left leg outstretched and your right leg bent. That's the herky jump. So he 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 developed that, and it was it was uh, it was known as his jump. He um, they said his contribution to the field of cheerleading took it from the raccoon coat to the pennant, and then to greater heights. He was born in Michigan. He was a cheerleader at Southern Methodist University, and he developed this um, jump, which became known as the Herky, quite by accident. While he was intending to perform a split in the air, he ended up putting his hand on his hip and the one arm up, and so the split ended up becoming this Herky, which if you're watching, John showed the picture of. So the move features one arm extended straight in the air and the other on the hip with one leg extended straight and the other one bent back. So he, uh, while he was at SMU, he formed a national organization for cheerleaders. This is where the money comes in, and created a cheerleading magazine called Megaphone. Mm. He also, in 1948, started cheerleading camps at Sam Houston uh, Teachers College, and he he's, did it with just $600. He started these these camps and so forth. And just to put it in perspective, he sold, um, ended up selling the cheerleader camp in 1986 for 20 million dollars ching ching yeah so the magazine the camp you keep them coming back for more right right he had as many at uh, when he sold it in 86 he had as met he had as many as 1500 instructors teaching tens of thousands of students nature nationwide each summer uh cheerleading he also had a cheerleading supply company so he'd retail the skirts and sweaters to the cheerleading squads so he had the magazine he had the skirts and the sweaters and he patented the pom-pom. Yeah, that was up next to the picture of him doing the jump in the air. I, I looked closely, and I'm like, wait a minute. This is an old patent. He patented the pom He made the pom-pom. 
Yeah, he said in order to make cheerleading a more visually appealing um, prospect, he came up with this device. And uh, because he said, particularly with the advent of color TV, they thought they needed some some color and some flash. So he invented the pom-pom. Now, I didn't know this, or patented the pom-pom. Apparently, the pom-pom is spelled P-O-M-P-O-N, pom-pon. Neither did I. This is new. This is beep, 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 coming over the wire, newsflash, pom-pon. 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 Okay. Because the word pom-pom had a very vulgar meaning in other languages. But so many people just kept calling it the pom-pom because it was two that it just stuck. So even though he got patent for the pom-pon, P-O-N, the, um, it's now known, of course, as the pom-pom, P-O-M, P-O-M. And um, he, so he patented the, as I said, he patented the pom-pom to make it more visually appealing. And I don't know how you patent that. I guess you, you say you've got a handle with some... <laughs> Fringe. Plastic, what, whatever, plastic. what are you calling it? I didn't even know what they used back then, right? <laughs> I don't know either, but it it was patent number 3,560,313 by the U.S. Patent Office in 71. And uh, so that's his, um, that was his claim to fame. So he was, he was a grandfather cheerleading. He patented the pom-pom and started these cheerleading classes, He uh, or cheerleading camps. He died in Texas at the age of 89 in 2015 of heart failure. They asked him if he could actually do the herky again. He said, uh, he, he said the last time he did it, he was um, in his 60s. He said he would be, if he had to do it again now, he said he'd need a crane or before he died, of course. <laughs> so he, he had a he sense need, of humor, too. <laughs> he said, I'd need a, cr- a crane and a piano wire to do it, to try to perform it now. But um, So in his My 60s God. was the last time he did the herky jump. So think about this. He had, um, it was almost like the old Hollywood where they had the studios, the actors, and the theaters. It was all, yep. so he had the schools, the magazine. He designed something, a prop that was necessary for modern cheerleading. The pom-pom and the outfits, the sweaters and the skirts. And so the Tim, this is what you and I always talk about. Can we please invent something that's an annuity? Like we missed out on coin-operated laundries. That that was something you and I were like, whoa, how do we miss coin-op laundries, right? I'm not talented enough, but here's here's what I think we need to do. You need to come up with a Christmas song. <laughs> if we could write a Christmas song, we'd be set because it comes up every year. People get it. You don't get tired of it because it just comes around again. You know, Mariah Carey, I forget how many. I think they said she's made 150 million. Off her towards, one, towards, one song, Christmas right? song she did, right. All, All I want. I really want for, remember Katie loved that song mm-hmm. back from her serious days. But if we could come up with a Christmas song. I think we'd be all set. Now, I don't know. You have to have the jingle bells. A ching, 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 ching. Is, is this something Bob can do? <laughs> I'll put it in the hopper. <laughs> I'll get it in the I, the invention hopper. We'll get that going, right? Maybe one of our copywriters could do it. Well, well our copywriters <sighs> tend to be Jewish, but they seem to write the best Christmas songs. Oh, well, our, all our Jewish friends have Christmas. They love Christmas. <laughs> they love Christmas. Christmas. They have Hanukkah. They, they love the whole season. <laughs> they, it's, they're the best, really. Wow. <laughs> So, hey, so we're going to uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a guest that's going to be joining us from California, Marge Margulies, who's a work. John likes to say a working artist, and um, she makes all kinds of really cool pottery. And we want to talk to her about uh, her business and what it's like to be a working artist. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this quick message, and we get all to Marge. You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com.
Focus on the savvy side of 9 to 5 with the Focus Group. And in business a week, I got more money than I know what to do with. Listen, laugh, and learn with Tim and John. Herrera Roche. He is doing well. Hey, welcome back to the Focus Group. John Nash with Tim Bennett. Focusgroupradio.com is where all our media is housed, including Unbuttoned, our Tuesday podcast. Please check that out. Subscribe, like, and rate, as you do, of course, with the Focus Group. All right, so as Tim teased before break, we're going to go out to California to uh, meet an incredible artist who I think you're going to love getting to know, and we hope you also shop her fine works as well, Marge Margulies. Now, am I pronouncing that correct, Marge? You got it exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to the I, sh- I, I may have done it wrong when I when I teased it, but uh, so I'll, we'll have to practice that. But but it, it's it's on the bottom of if you're watching on the on the on the video feed, it's on the bottom the whole time, right? So you'll be able to uh, to see it there, right, John? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So you have a look at Marge's studio. We're, we're giving you full video frame here. The color is magnificent. Thank you for joining us. I want to kick this off by saying Marge is a working artist, a working potter. And what that means is she actually derives her income <laughs> from her work, which not every artist can say, right, Marge? No, that's correct. It's a, a tough road. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself or, and specifically how you got into pottery and how it became a business for you? Okay. Um, well, you know, I was always someone who liked to make things, even as a kid. My father was an artist. It was always known that I would be the next artist in the family, but no one ever said you could do it for a job. Um, Truthfully, the first step for me was when I was working at a hot dog stand in a tourist trap in Philadelphia, and a little boy came up to me and said, my daddy's a potter, and he took me over to that guy, and that guy hired me for an apprenticeship, which I did for two years, and I saw how production pottery worked. And then after that, I went to art school. I actually majored in ceramics, and they taught us exactly nothing about how to <laughs> do it as a business. I think nowadays they may teach you a little bit more, but you're totally on your own after that. I started working in restaurants and got my first studio right out of college and wound up connecting with a few little galleries, got a couple of wholesale accounts. And then I did my first big trade show in the early 90s. And the first morning I took $10,000 worth of orders. And wow. after that, I was off and running. I started cutting back on my restaurant shifts and making as much stuff as I could and trying to get new galleries. And then it just built over years. And finally, I had a real good wholesale business. Um, And I did that for many years. And then I started adding in driving to craft shows, which now that I live in California is a lot of driving. I was supposed to drive to New Orleans and Fort Worth and Denver and Bend, Oregon and uh, the Midwest and all the shows got canceled. Well, well, I, I have two questions for you. I'm in Philadelphia, Marge, so I, I need to know what the hot is. The hot dog place still in business? No, it's long gone. It was at New Market. In wow. Fact, a minor point of interest is that while we were working at that hot dog stand, the group juggling and trying to get money out front of us was Penn and Teller. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember, and I, so the new market down off of South Street. I know where that is. That that right. that's funny. Wow. Right at the river. So you went to the so fro, so from one coast to the other. How did you end up? Are you in Northern California or whereabouts in California are you located? 
Yes, I'm in Sonoma County, about an hour and a half north of San Francisco, up in the wine country near the ocean. It's very beautiful. I can do my work from anywhere. And uh, about 13 years ago, I decided I wanted to live someplace beautiful. So as long as UPS comes, I'm good. You know, Marge, um, when you were talking about your beginnings and how you... um graduated art school with literally they didn't tell you how to make this a business i experienced this as well i mean i was a graphic designer when i graduated and graphic arts uh typesetting magazine layout etc that was in fact a job you were told you would make money at but anything beyond that like painting or pottery or sculpture best of luck i wanted to pick up on something you said a moment ago though about um an apprenticeship it, it was was that the critical component for you do you think i think it was actually it was this guy, Russell Johnson and Scott Ferreira of Job Chilloway Pottery. And they made me see what you could do. It was a big open warehouse and they had it all set up in all the different stations of how you make pottery. And I think without that, I wouldn't have really been able to conceive of how you run your own shop. Tell us what was the first thing you made? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember? The first thing I ever made was on the very first day of kindergarten, where they made you put your hand in a piece of plaster to make a handprint. <laughs> and apparently yeah. the story goes, uh, I screamed and cried so much from getting my hands in that plaster that my mother had to come take me home. <laughs> so, so, so after that, when you were apprentice, what did, uh, do you remember, what, what, did you immediately start doing the sort of crafts that we see, um, displayed in front of you or did you did oh, you start on no. that's been many years of development in fact I've always had an interest in things that fit together and I especially like colorful plants succulent plants the beautiful geometry of those things and this body of work has actually developed over many years one of the reasons actually was a very practical reason because when I first started doing the wholesale shows I was making some teapots that had these long twisted handles and I had to actually ship them in Cooper's barrels, which I bought from a warehouse up in Northeast Philadelphia. And it was just crazy. And I thought, how can I ship these better? So I started making pieces that fit inside each other and then you could stack them inside each other and ship them very easily. And then that led me to, you know, pushing the idea. And I've always had a very strong sense of color I like the way different colors that are very similar go together in very careful steps. A lot of my pieces do that where I'll start with one color and then add a little bit of a couple of other colors until it makes a progression. Um, so the body of work really has um, morphed over the years. All right. So Marge, one of the things you said earlier when we were talking was um, that you used to travel to many trade shows around the country. You'd pack up your van and go. And, and one of the great things about pottery and your art and your craft is that um, it's tactile and people could experience it in person and, and look at it and nest the different product, the bowls and the trays and figure out how it all worked. And it's really cool. Um, what is, as this is, a, is your main income and this is what you do, how how quickly were you able to pivot to online and how has that been going for you? Um, you're right. Getting my work in your hands is the thing that makes you see it. In fact, it's super lightweight. This is something that you can't see without having it in your hand. But I've made a real point of making pieces that are very balanced 
and have a terrific weight to them. And when people get it in their hands, that's the best way to make you understand what it is to interact with my work in a daily way. Um, when the event happened, um, I was extremely worried, as you might imagine. My entire year is based on these craft shows. And you're right, I haven't had a restaurant job since 1995. And it is pretty unusual uh, for someone to be making an actual living. I mean, I'm not taking fancy vacations, but I'm making an actual living doing my work by going around to these big shows. And there's different tiers of shows, and I've been doing the higher tiers, like the Smithsonian Craft Show in Washington, D.C. is probably thought of the best show in the country, American Craft Exposition in Chicago and other shows like that. Um, but those are long drives for me, and when this happened, um, I was looking at a year of no income. So a friend of mine who's actually a Google guy called and offered me some engineer time. He said, you need an online store and he taught me how to do it. And so within an hour of finally getting it live after a couple of months of trying to learn how to do it because computer is not my thing. In fact, I was determined that computer, I would never be able to do it. But in fact, it's been incredible for me, first of all, to learn what I'm capable of which is actually managing and building an online store. And within an hour of the store being live, I had an order from someone I didn't know in Florida. Wow. So it gave me the sense that people are out there looking for my work. Um, I don't know how regularly or sustaining, but I'm determined to continue having a business doing pottery. So it's been fantastic, the online store. And I see there's a lot of, uh, other opportunities that it presents, such as, you know, an online interview like this to make people aware that you're out there. So, so Marge, with the pivot from going from being predominantly an in-person sales um, mode where people were actually touching and feeling the product. And as you said, one of the biggest surprises that, um, that we found with your pottery is how, how durable it is and how um, the feeling of it is, is quite different. It's not as heavy as you might expect um, some pottery to be. So when you've moved from from the pivot because of the event to the online or e-commerce um, side of the business, has there been any surprises in terms of people's chain uh, people's changing their tastes or things that they order? Have there been things that that have surprised you? There have been, and I must say it's been very interesting. One of the things it's very true that at these craft shows that I do, my main um, intention is to get my work in people's hands. It's very lightweight, as you say, and that doesn't right. translate in a picture. I'm trying to make things that are very balanced and feel good as you use them. So I think the function of my work has really come through on the online platform in a way that I'm surprised about. My pieces are meant to be centerpieces, but when you pull them apart, you can use them to set a buffet, a table, when you make a lot of uh, like a dish that has a number of parts to it, like if you were making fajitas and it has that tortilla and then the bowls of stuff, you pull the centerpiece apart and use it spread out, make a beautiful display on your table. You can even put it in the dishwasher and then put it back together. You don't need a cabinet to put it away in. I've learned that people who have small spaces very much want a piece of art on their table or on their kitchen island, especially one that they can use. 
The other thing I'll say that I've noticed is that people are more attracted to red than I had known. <laughs> I'm a big red fan. I are love you? red. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm willing to respond in that way. I've noticed that a lot of times I'm selling this piece poinsettia. I don't know if you can see it here. Yep. Looks beautiful. has a lot of red to it. Um, and uh, I use a lot of blue and green, you know, colors of the forest. But I've noticed that people are responding to red, so I'm, you know, making more of those. So that's, I don't know if this is a sidebar, but that's a, that's actually, you mentioned something here I think um, might be interesting or important. So if somebody was interested in one of your items that they saw online, could they make a request for you to do a custom piece? In other words, if they said, you know what, I love that. Um, particular piece, but could you make that in a light green, or could you make that in a blue or a purple? Can, do you do that sort of thing as, as custom work? Oh, sure. I'm happy to do that. In fact, some of my best ideas have come from customers' requests. I mean, it needs to be within the range of what I do. I've learned that I can't, like, draw a pig on the side of a pitcher. Like, that's not going to be a successful request. <laughs> but if you see poinsettia, in red and you love it, but you wish that it was in a green progression. I'm, I'm very open to special requests like that. I'm very easy to deal with in that regard. You can just email me or call me. Generally, when you order something from me, it goes out that same day or the next day. I try to have everything on my online store in stock and on hand. And if it isn't, you can order it and then it's only about three weeks till it's ready. So on that score, Marge, I'm going to give our listeners, uh, I want to remind them how to contact you. So it's Marge Margulies, like Hercules, Marge Margulies. It's M-A-R-G-E-M-A-R-G-U-L-I-E-S pottery.com. So it's Marge Margulies pottery.com. Um, you also have some specials running at the site. So if people that are visiting for the first time can take advantage of some discounts you may be offering. And before we let you go, uh, you're going to be visiting us again in a few weeks, uh, which is great before the holidays. Tell us three surprising gangbuster pieces that you're selling out of. Okay, uh, let's see. Well, I think one of my most popular items currently is one of these sets, this one called Peony, which I just happen to have sitting right here in front of me. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> There's peony. This is green and purple, and it's also reversed on the other direction. You can see that on my website. Um, this one's super useful. I've been very happy to see the reaction to peony. And then um, there's a piece I make called Cactus Bowl. Wow, I like that. That's cool. I love the colors. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. And this, I don't know if you can see this very well on here, but this has a thrown foot. It's kind of a riff on, an, on a very traditional piece called a footed bowl. Um, but it's a little bit tricky to make. I do a lot of carving on the edges of these pieces. The foot has to be thrown on separately. And then the top is also carved. And the carving on the top and the carving on the bottom echo each other. I do this in the blue inside, red outside. And then I do it in the reverse. They all have their own little names on the website this one's called prickly pear there's a blue one that's called hedgehog which is the name <laughs> of it they're all names of types of cactuses uh -huh. and then let's see what would be the third thing you know it's not necessarily my my main thing is to suggest this but i will because it's popular but i cannot make enough mugs <laughs> i have made i think two dozen mugs 
every week or two for 40 years. Oh, my God. Wow. Never have any on hand. They're super lightweight. They really feel good in your hand. I believe the responsibilities of a mug are to be large, light, and colorful. And they also have a great grip. So people, I, a lot of guys buy my mugs because you can really get your hand in the handle there. You know, it's not dainty. <laughs> like a wow. teacup. Like a teacup. Dainty is not my thing. I, lo I love those cups. So as an idea, and, and as John mentioned, we're going to have you back again and, and really dig deeper into your product line. But are, are there price points so if somebody wanted to do a, a gift or a custom gift or um, they're, they're getting something for a special occasion or as we go into the holidays, what, is, is there a price point um, that most people hone in on or, or what's the range of your, of your pricing for your items? Obviously, some things that are more elaborate will cost more. Absolutely. There's a huge price range. Those mugs are $38. And like you said, at my website, there's a 15% discount plus free shipping anywhere in the United States, the lower 48. Wow. So there's that. That's the lowest end is 38. There's bowls that are also $38. Like these, my, I call these today's bowls. <laughs> and they're good for every day. <laughs> today's bowls. Um, yeah. And then... All the, the most expensive thing is twelve twenty-five, and that would be this artichoke set. If you can see this here, wow, it, that's spectacular! And how we, many how many pieces are to that? Well, the standard part of it is twelve pieces. It's eleven bowls plus a platter. Wow! And then it can have as many as three platters, and so it can be large enough to really make a statement on a very large table. But in the middle, I would think my most popular things are a serving platter with a little bowl that I call a server set that you would think I would have right on hand. <laughs> There's the platter, and it has a little bowl that goes with it. It's not the exact right one, oh. but it's painted to match, and this is a fantastic gift. This is 160 Great. So, And then there um, are things in – there's a larger platter. It's like 220 most of these sets are in the four-something range. Um, I do dishes. I do serving bowls. There's a set of three serving bowls on my website called Delectables. <laughs> Love the names. They're available yeah. individually at 80, 140, and 180, or as a set, it's 380 for a set of three, and they're beautifully color-coordinated. There's a number of different colors, as you might imagine. So there's wow. a really wide range of things that make really great presents. As, I just want to add one thing about that custom uh, thing that you mentioned, which is I do do some custom stuff. I do dog bowls with your dog's name on them, and I do mugs with people's name on them. I've done it a lot as corporate gifts. You need to leave me enough time for Christmas delivery, but I'm happy to do that. Great. Wow. So it's, um, well, you know what, uh, congratulations, because as, as, as we mentioned uh, earlier, you're actually a, not only a working artist, but this event has thrown so many small businesses in for a loop. And the fact that you're able to pivot to go from uh, doing lots of in-person trade shows to, a, to an online business, it, it's great. And um, we're, uh, we're glad you spent some time with us today. And hopefully when we uh, see you next month, we'll be able to dig, dig a little deeper into your products. One question um, I do have for you, if if I went online to your website and maybe I couldn't decide what to get for somebody, do you offer like a gift card or something for people? Well, can yes, can they buy just a gift card instead? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Yes, indeed, I do. In fact, I have worked it out 
um, so that a gift card is actually a physical object. In my world, physical is everything. There, I make a beautiful gift card. You can see it. It's right on the list of choices on the front page of my store, which you get to by going to the front of my website and then clicking on the Ship Now button. And uh, I make a beautiful mounted gift card that comes in a beautiful presentation envelope with directions on the back about how to redeem it. And then the whole thing comes in a outer envelope. It's very pretty and I mail it out to the recipient immediately. Wow. So they, they have something in their hand that they can actually hold. Um, I think that I'm gonna do an online e-gift card, possibly by the time we speak next. So there'll be that too, but I think the physical gift card is really a great way to go. I'm very proud of how pretty it is. It's something you receive in the mail. Cool. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll post um, we'll post your website address at our web at our uh, f- uh, Facebook page, and uh, so for those people that uh, don't have a pencil with them right now or maybe listening to the audio, they can go to our Facebook page, which is Focus Group Radio, and uh, check out Marge's pottery. It's M A R G E, Margulies M A R G U L I E S Pottery dot com. We want to thank you for joining us today, Marge, and. Uh, we uh, continued success with your with your business, and we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you, Marge. Nice to talk to you, Tim and John. I'm Thank very you. proud to be on your program. <laughs> Thanks so much. Great. Thanks. So, Mr. Nash, we um, we we both got some we both got some pottery in mind. I got that um, that poinsettia uh, set, which is really really cool. But I can't emphasize enough a the quality of the product, but also. It is a work of art. I, I kept mine out, and I've already had a lot lots of people ask about it. But it's it's a it's it's like a work of art statement piece, but it's also very usable, which is uh, which I think is pretty cool. All right, we got the ranunculus, which is a uh, a set of bowls that are all nested. And uh, when the box came, I actually thought it was incorrect because it was I could hold the box with one hand. And when you when you <laughs> set this up, this bowl set is it looks like it's going to be heavy, but it's. It's fantastic work. So we're going to post all this stuff over at um, our Facebook page, obviously, and you could check out the video. But I think that's it, right, Mr. Bennett? Yes. So uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks to Marge. And uh, we hope all of you have a great, uh, great week. Be sure to check out Unbuttoned, which comes out every Tuesday morning. And then, of course, our show, The Focus Group, which is Wednesdays at 1 p.m. East. You can find all of our information, all of our uh, media housed, as John likes to say, at focusgroupradio.com. We hope everybody wears the masks and don't forget to vote. Take care. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.